everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is a seasoned executive recruiter and strategy consultant since 1996. He's dedicated to helping business leaders achieve profitability. Mentored by industry pioneers, he guarantees 100% satisfaction in every assignment. His impactful results include advising executives for national accelerator acceptance, contributing to top agricultural innovations, and presented to graduate students at the University of Chicago, Oxford University, and Carnegie Mellon. Beyond business, he serves as vice chair for the American Red Cross and empowers students through his nonprofit. I'd like to welcome John Paul Engel to the show. John, how are you doing today? Great, great. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Hey, it's really an honor to have you on the show. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe throwing a fun fact that many don't know about you? Oh, sure. Uh... I work with people all over the world every day. Uh, I have a passion for helping people understand that they can change their life and really be the artist of their own life. Uh, I think something that is really unusual and unique about me is that I've overcome radical challenges in my life. So I was born with brain damage, addicted to drugs, and I was never supposed to walk. I was deemed unadoptable by the state of Iowa. And I went on to graduate from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, which is one of the best business schools in the world. I sat across from the heads of trading of the major investment banks in London and advised them. Uh, so I've really gone a long way from that kid who had a rough start in life. Uh, and that's something that I try to inspire people to understand that no matter where they are, they can radically change their existence. Wow, that's completely amazing. You know, uh, I was really excited today. I've been watching some of your YouTube uh, videos. I mean, I watched one all the way back to where uh, I think it was titled, Are You Are you Still Making Big Dreams? Uh, and I'm like, oh, man, that, that's awesome. I can't wait to talk to him. So where did where did where does your inspiration come from? You know, my inspiration really comes from my parents. Uh, I, you know, I came to them when I was uh, just a few weeks old. And I was addicted to drugs, so I was going through withdrawal. I was crying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They already had six of their own kids. And yet they took in this kid who was just, you know, about the biggest mess you could possibly imagine. And when the caseworkers came to take me away, uh, they said, no, let him stay here with us. He's fine right here with us. And they raised me as their own child, uh, you know, when they already had six of their own children. Over the time that I was growing up, we took care of 103 other foster children. Oh, wow. So I was born into a life of service. Mm -hmm. My mother told me when I was growing up, John, if somebody ever asks you for help, always help them because you will always find a way. And I live by that because I just have this incredible faith that God is always walking with me. Mm. And whatever I need to solve any problem... God is going to provide to me. And I keep seeing that in so many incredible ways. Isn't that amazing? It's just, it's truly amazing because you can, you can really see it in just about, well, in everything. I mean, the fact that you and I are talking right now about something that we are completely aligned in is, is it's amazing to me. Like, like how, how, how did we even meet? I don't even know how that happened. Well, I know, I know how it happened, but it's it's just I, I find it fascinating how how people are connected and and you know how the mission is growing. So, as a child going to a home at a few weeks old, addicted to drugs, what was your childhood like growing up with six other siblings and uh, gosh, being involved with that many foster kids? What was what was what was it like as a kid? That's a great question. 
And I, and I love to talk about that period of my life because it was really pretty amazing and magical, right? So when I was growing up, I had trouble even just standing up straight. And yet my mother, she always told me, John, never let anyone tell you you can't do anything. And so I believe that. When I, when I flunked kindergarten, my mother told me, John, you can, you can be anything. Don't let anyone tell you and define your life. Right. And I believe that so much. She worked with me at the kitchen table. Right. When other people would have given up, she worked with me at the kitchen table and I became really good at math. And so math was my first vehicle. Right. Of showing the world, hey, I'm, I can be good at something. We had an individually paced math program at the time and I finished it by fourth grade. And oh, so wow. the, the teachers just had me teaching the other students Right. And so I was actually teaching my classmates when, you know, just shortly after coming out of special ed. And then I got asked to be in math competitions. Right. So by the time I left elementary school, I was representing the school in math competitions when I had been a special ed student. So there's there was this period of time where people made fun of me. Right. And I so I suffered that trauma of even the parents of my classmates would make fun of me. One of them used to call me Poindexter. And so I faced this like trauma of people looking down on me. But my mother, she taught me to be strong. She taught me to believe. And if you have hope, hope is a radical, radical force for transformation. And my mother, she just seemed, she always seemed to know what to say. So there was one day she came in and I was watching something really important on television. I think it was Gilligan's Island. And I was sure Gilligan was going to get off the island that day. Like that was the episode. <laughs> Gilligan was getting off. And my mother, she came, came in and she shut off the television. And I'm like, Mom, what are you doing? Gilligan's going to get off the island. And she said, John, I bought this book for you. I want you to read it. Books will take you places that television programs never will. And she handed me a copy of a book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, that she had gotten for 50 cents at a rummage sale. And that book, it gave me the love of reading. And so I would read anything I could put my hands on. My dad had like a library of these books in the basement that I would read. And, and it, was, it was really interesting. My dad is very much like me. He was a giver and he's a very loving man. Um, I call him the master of forgiveness. Mm. And he's such a beautiful man that people would give him things. And so he had all these books that he had been given in our basement. And so I would read these Louis L'Amour books about the Old West. I would read biographies. I would read... Uh, just anything I could put my hands on. I would read these giant books that my, my teachers told me I, I couldn't read at my age, and I, I just didn't care. <laughs> like if, if, I, if it caught my interest, I wanted to read it. And I was incredibly passionate about reading. And this, this laid the foundation for me to later become a writer and to, to you know, be successful in school because I could access so many different pools of information, and I had this passion for for learning, right? So mm -hmm. I had this incredible passion for learning, partly driven by that trauma, right? I was trying to prove to the world that I could be just as good as anyone else. And it drove me to very high levels of success because I was trying to, you know, first it was establishing to other people that I was as worthy as everyone else. Later it was... I want to have enough money so that I can create a beautiful life for the children that I'll have someday. Mm. No. And so I set these objectives out and I just kept driving for it, driving for it. I remember being in my early, early twenties, late teens and having this notion that I wanted to sit across the table from the smartest people in the world. And I wanted to add value to their life. And one day I went into work um, for one of my professors. And on that day, he told me, John, you've got to call Julius Irving today. Do you remember Julius Irving? Dr. J. Dr. J. Yeah. Right? So I'm this 19-year-old kid. I'm calling Dr. J on the phone. <laughs> right? 
And I'm having this conversation with the best basketball player in the world, right? It would be like calling LeBron James or Michael Jordan. I'm talking to Julius. And Julius was a kind and gentle man. And he was just beautiful. And it was incredible to have this conversation. And I realized I can talk to anyone in the world. I can become friends with anyone in the world. All I need to do is ask. I just have to find a way to be of service to them. This is such a powerful moment in my life that I endeavor to teach this to everyone I meet so that they have the courage to reach out to whoever they want to know and recognize that these are people. There's not a single person on this planet that somebody else didn't help. All of these people are starting where you're starting, man. Like every single one of them. If you show up and you show up with kindness and you show up with love and you show up that you care with passion, people are going to open doors for you. Maybe not everyone you ask, but somebody's going to open that door. If you can teach people to just keep knocking, right? Just keep knocking. Just keep believing. Have that hope, right? Because hope transforms your life, right? So I was taught at a very young age. You can be the artist of your own life. And I teach this to people as broadly and as effectively as I can. You know, gosh, there's so much in that. The first question I have is, how old were you when you got 20,000 leagues under the sea? <laughs> I think I was about, it was about third or fourth grade. I had just taken the California basic skills test. And that got me out of special ed. So I took the California basic skills test and they're like, oops, we made a mistake. <laughs> and so I had gotten out of special ed and my mother had given me this book. And, and so I had the notion of this was my way to, to, to not go back to special ed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it, there was a drive there, a passion, uh, that, God just drove me into literature. And then once I started to read, I recognized how powerful my mind was, right? Mm -hmm. So when you read, you're constructing that world. You're constructing that environment. This is very different than if you're consuming content. Um, if you're just watching something, somebody else has already constructed the environment. They've already done the hard work of creating the visualization. And mm -hmm. so you're not getting the same benefit from that that you would from from reading a book. Reading a book activates your mind in a, in a much broader, more effective way. That's one of the reasons why I, I know a lot of people are, are consumed with ebooks, and I listen to a lot of ebooks and podcasts myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of Andrew Huberman, <laughs> and and uh, and so I listen to a lot of podcasts. But it's not the same as picking up a book. Because you're not doing that men mental gymnastics. It's mm -hmm. not as effective. And so I, 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 I try to read as well. I, in fact, I have this eclectic group of books. I never read one book at a time. I'm always reading like different books at a time. I, I create these learning experiments for myself. So I'm very passionate about trying to figure out ways. How can I become a more efficient learner? Because when mm -hmm. I think about a book, I think about it like it's like software code, right? So like as I read a book, I'm updating the code in my brain, right? And so now I have access to more ideas and more knowledge and more different ways of thinking about things. So I create these learning experiments for myself. And one of them was reading um, five biographies at once. Uh, hmm. So I'd read this book called um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. One of my faves. Yeah. And Napoleon's there saying, you should have a board of directors, right? So you should have this virtual board of directors of people throughout history that you admire. And I thought about this and, you know, I thought, who, who should be on my board of directors, right? So one of them was Abraham, um, one of them was Abraham Lincoln, right? So one of them was Einstein. One of them was Steve Jobs. One of them was Gandhi, uh, and then I think I had, uh, earlier in my life, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Benjamin Franklin. So if you think about Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin is the only non-president on our money, right? And he's on the biggest bill. 
that dude knew business, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he invented a hundred things. Like, who do you want in your virtual board of directors but that dude, right? Exactly. <laughs> I literally try to follow Benjamin Franklin's life as closely as I can. I'm like, that dude had it figured out. And so I read these biographies and I, and I post about this on social media. So when I think about social media, I think about a global classroom. I want to send out information to people. I want to change people's lives. And now I have, a, I have tools to reach people around the world with that, right? And so I posted on social media about doing this learning experiment because I thought it could be something that could benefit other people. One of my friends commented back, John, you should read a book, How to Read a Book. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> and so I'm like, ha-ha. And my first thought was ha-ha, you know, because people say funny things to me and I, I'm a goofy guy. And then I got the book, How to Read a Book. And I started looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, this book is about learning experiments. This book is about how to read even faster. So most people are only reading at a second grade level. We're still hooked on phonics, right? (laughs) Like we're still hooked on phonics. Now I've studied Japanese. I know I can, I can understand entire concepts from a symbol. So Japanese people don't read one letter at a time. They read entire, entire concepts at a time. So why can't we do that? And I'm reading how to read a book and it's saying, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the most powerful pieces of technology that you'll ever have and you don't need to put batteries in it. So mm-hmm. what I want you to do is just put this under a line of text, right? Put the finger under the line of text and move at your normal rate of reading and then speed up the finger just a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more. Then start thinking about, I'm going to read entire groups, words at a time. I'm going to read entire groups of words at a time. I went from 30 pages an hour to 90 pages an hour with better retention. Wow. Yeah, because think about it. If you're reading at one letter at a time, your mind is working really slow, right? right. And you're not getting the word in context. But if you're reading entire words or groups of words at a time, you're reading in context. You can, you can consume information so much faster, right? Yeah. You can consume information incredibly fast, right? If, if you think about how fast you consume information when you're driving a car or walking down the street, mm-hmm. right? Our brains are incredibly capable, right? Yep. Most people are using 10% of their brain in something I read somewhere, like a small portion of what their brain is capable of doing. I am super passionate about teaching people how to use this thing. Everyone's talking about AI. I'm talking about what about your freaking biology, man? Mm-hmm. Like, let's use our biology, right? Yeah. We can be superhuman. We can be superhuman. You just have to believe. So put yourself around superhuman people. Recently, I had the opportunity. I met um, this guy who was one of the strongest people in the world. He, there's, uh, he's, he's the strongest man in the world in two weight classes. Uh, so he's a, a, a whole host of world records. And I love this guy because he's incredibly hum- humble. His name is uh, Sean Frankel. And so I was in his gym and I was talking to Sean and and. Uh, I was watching Sean coach these superhuman guys, and these dudes were bench pressing over 700 pounds. Now, think about that for a minute. Bench pressing 700 pounds? I've gone to the gym my entire life. I thought two to 300 pounds was a, was a, a pretty solid bench. These dudes are doing 700 pounds. Yeah. Like, how in the world? Now, I looked over at them, and they were wearing these these shirts, right? And I, I started asking Sean about these shirts, and he's like, yeah, these people wear these shirts to increase their bench. Right? So he was telling me these different methods about increasing your bench. One of the things were these shirts, right? These shirts were really tight at the top and really loose at the belly. And I'm like, that's curious. I wonder what that's all about. Then he was talking about breaking the lift down into pieces, And he's like, John, it's just like walking up the stairs and walking down the stairs. I'm like, what what the hell are you talking about, Sean? (laughs) And he's like, John, think about your elbows, right? Think about your elbows. 
It's walking down the stairs, walking up the stairs. We break the lift into five parts. They're walking up and down the stairs. That's what they're doing. I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. If you're going to solve a big problem, what do you do? You break it down into its parts, right? If you want to run a race at a particular target race, what do you do? You do intervals, right? It's the same as teaching somebody to run a sub four minute mile is the same as teaching somebody to bench press 700 pounds, right? Hmm. But then there was the mystery of the shirt. What the frick is going on with this shirt? And it's funny because I have these books in front of me. I literally have Freight, Think and Grow Rich in front of me. I, I found this book, The Naked Warrior, by a guy named Pavel, all right? And so right around the time I have this question, God does this to me. God like puts the answers in front of me. So I get this book and I start reading this book, The Naked Warrior. Pavel, Pavel is this incredible dude. He taught Russian special forces and then US special forces about how to be strong. He brought the kettlebell to the US. Mm. So Pavel's a bomb diggity when it comes to strength, right? I'm reading this book. And Pavel's like, the difference between Western lifters and Russian and Chinese lifters is that they know how to breathe. They use martial arts breathing to access their chi. So they're accessing their chi when they're lifting. That's how it's making them strong. They're able to push their chi out to their limbs. I thought about this shirt. What is this shirt doing? It's forcing these lifters to breathe from their diaphragm because they can't breathe from their chest. It's too tight, right? So if you, if you look at mo most Westerners, they're breathing from their chest. Just watch people breathe. They breathe from their chest. If you learn to breathe from your diaphragm, you're able to access the power of your chi, just like a martial artist does. I got that from basically just a couple of times of being in the gym with one of the smartest men in the world. You got to put yourself around the best people in the world at whatever it is that you want to do because they already know the answers. I was asking Sean a question once about how he overcame a particular lift that was his struggle. And he goes, John, you know, I started trying to figure out what other people did and I couldn't quite get it to work until I realized that I needed to find people with my exact body type. So then I looked for the people that were the best in the world at my, with my exact body type, and I reverse engineered what they did, and that taught me how to be the best lifter in the world. Now, I want you to understand how incredible Sean is as a lifter. He, he gave me the analogy of, he goes, John, it's like we're running a 100-yard dash, and everybody else is running in 12 seconds, and I'm doing it in nine. Like he, Sean is the Michael Jordan of powerlifting, right? Like this dude is incredible. And so put yourself around the Michael Jordan and a LeBron James of whatever it is, and you'll, you'll, you'll raise your level. And this is something that I've done my entire life. My mother told me when I was a kid, she said, John, you're like the five people you surround yourself with. So find the best five people that you can put yourself around. When I was in college, I worked for Jimmy Carter's former pollster from the 1976 election. After I graduated college, I worked on the research staff of Alan Greenspan. 5,000 people apply for that job. Only 30 get it. Of those 30, they only select two to teach the others econometrics. I was one of the two. Hmm. Right? I was in rare air. You've got to find where is your rare air. If you can get there, then you can learn just by watching people. Right? You're going to learn by the energy of the people you're around. You're going to learn by being in there and seeing it. And then when you can start to break down what it is that people are doing and reverse engineer it, create your own path. And a lot of times all that takes is asking them, hey, how did you get in this career? What have you learned that's helped you be successful? What can I do? Right? Mm -hmm. If you ask them how they got in their career, that's their roadmap. Now you've got their roadmap. It, and they, they're, they're remembering when they were you because everybody started somewhere. The next question, how did you become successful? You're complimenting them. Who doesn't like to think they're successful? You're going to learn something that costs them time, tears, or money just for asking that question. The last question, what can someone like myself do to get in this career? That's a soft ask for help. 
It's a way of asking them for help without putting them on the spot. They can give you a book. They can give you anything, right? So one of my students did this. He came to my class and he said, John, I want to open a bowling alley someday. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, why do you want to open a bowling alley? This kid was around 18, 19 years old at the time. He said, oh, I've worked at a bowling alley since I was 14. I, I really like bowling alleys. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Why don't you call the past chair of the industry association for bowling alleys? This is one of my favorite things to tell students. The past chair knows everyone or they wouldn't have become the chair. They're respected. Everybody likes them. It took them years to become the chair, but now they're the past chair. So don't have anything to do. They had to work really hard to become the chair. But once they're the past chair, the whole thing is somebody else's responsibility. And they're just there for their wisdom, right? They feel, there's like, it's like your parents when you go off to school. They're empty nesters. They're like, they want to be relevant, right? So past chairs are so powerful because everybody knows, likes, and trusts them. And they have time because they're used to spending all their time with this organization and they care about it. If you show up and they think you're a young person who has a passion for the thing that they have a passion for, are they going to help you? Yes. And if they're helping you, you're now the mentee of the person everybody else knows, likes, and trusts. Mm-hmm. How fast is it going to be for you to become the chair of the organization? I've got a kid. I'm, the, I'm, I'm actually the chair of the Red Cross for my region now. They, they promoted me to the chair. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a kid I'm developing. He's a young Latino kid, right? He's a young Latino kid. Uh, he was one of my soccer players. So I've been working with this kid for years. Um, randomly found myself coaching um, high school soccer for 10 years. Never thought I'd be a high school soccer coach, but I ended up doing that in addition to all the other stuff I do. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm working with this kid. He's a first-generation immigrant, kid from Mexico. And uh, one of the kids I worked with went to Harvard. One of the kids I went to, worked with went to Wharton. Two of them are working at Google today. And this kid that I have is such a good kid that he was referred by the CEO of the local branch of the U.S. Bank to the Red Cross. And I predict that this kid is going to be chair, you know, in 10 or 15 years if he sticks with it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, think about that, right? That can happen for any kid. So this kid that wanted to start a bowling alley someday, he goes and he talks to the past chair and the past chair invites him to the board. And he goes back to the owner of his bowling alley and he says, well, I'm on the board of this association. And the owner says, I've been trying to get on that association for 10 years. How did you get on the board? And the kid tells him the story. And the guy says, I want to open a bowling alley with you in another city. By the time he left my class, he had a business partner ready to fund him to open a bowling alley in another city. Right? He came with that dream. We accelerated that dream. I often say to my students, they tell me something they want to do in the future. And I'm like, well, why don't we start today? Mm-hmm. Why don't we do this right now? Someday is today. Let's just take action and start making this happen. Gosh, I, I love all that, John. And I think, I think that's probably the uh, theme of today. I had a conversation earlier with another uh, connection of mine. And, and that's what we talked about, the power of your mind. Right. He's a he's a sex successful three time athlete. He was a pro uh, championship crossfitter and just humble beginnings as well. I watched I watched part of that episode. I love that guy. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, him and I him and I had a conversation this morning. I was on his podcast this morning, you know, and and we both talked about struggles and and things that we've accomplished because everything that I've set out to do and, and, and likewise with him. It's, it's happened, you know, but people see the end result. Nobody sees the work, the sweat, the time, the money, the tears in between, mm-hmm. you know, and listening to your story, holy smokes, you know, brain damage, drug addicted child that I, I, I do have one question for you that just popped to mind. Are you still trying to prove something to the world? That's a great question. Before I answer that question, I want to say one other thing before it slips my mind. We have another common, another common bond because I was looking through who else you interviewed on your podcast 
and you interviewed somebody from We Fight Monsters. Mm-hmm. And Gosh, I'm a need. I'm a really good friend of Ben Owen, who's also Love part ben. of that organization. Yeah, so Ben and I helped uh, get Afghans out of Afghanistan after the U.S. Uh, fled. So we created an underground railroad to get them out. We got them out to Africa and the Ukraine. So I love Ben. Ben is Ben is dear in my heart, and I I want to get to a story about Ben. But I'm going to go back to your question: Am I still trying to prove something to the world? I I love that question. The first thing I want to say is that I I've healed tremendously from that pain and that trauma. I found myself when my mother died. I was brokenhearted because she was my cheerleader. So my mother and my father were my rocks. They were the people that had been, you know, there for me when I needed it the most. And when they passed, I was heartbroken. And in my gut just told me, John, you have to find a way to share their light with the world. And I started to think about that. How could I share their light with the world? And people had actually told me never tell anyone that you were born with brain damage and addicted to drugs because people will look down on you. I, so I told that to one of my coworkers once and he's like, never, never tell them that because people will think less of you. And I thought about that and I thought about what happened and I realized that there are a bunch of people in the world that are carrying trauma they're afraid of. They don't want the world to see. And I'm, I'm going to stand up there and share my pain because I want them to see if you step into your pain, you can free yourself and you can free others. So there's a, there's a practice in Japan. I was deeply um, influenced by Japanese culture. And one of the practices in Japan that influenced me is the practice of fixing pottery that's broken. So in Japan, they will fix pottery with gold. So that makes you strong in the broken places. Oh, I love that. Step into your broken places and show love. So love is the gold. Love is the gold. If you can find your broken places, if you can find a reason for your broken places, and you can, you can help other people by sharing that in a beautiful way, now there was a reason for that, right? There was a reason for that suffering that you walked through. I just recently read Night um, by the Nobel Prize winning writer, um, I'm not, I mispronounce his name all the time. <laughs> so Weasel, uh, Ellie Weasel. Uh, and he wrote about uh, what happened in Hungary when the Nazis took over. And it, it was such a powerful book to be reading at this time because there's so many parallels to what's happening in this time. And I'm reading this book about how they kept having these hopes that, okay, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. You know, so first the Nazis took the, the immigrants away and they told everybody that they were taking the immigrants to work camps in Spain. They were taking them to Galicia, Spain. What they really were doing was taking them into a field and killing them. Mm -hmm. And one of them survived and he made his way back and he told Ellie what happened. And he told everybody else in the village what happened, that they had taken the immigrants to uh, this forest and they had just killed them all. and nobody believed him, right? Nobody believed him. And then the Nazis were, a lot of people don't know this, but it's in Ellie's book and I've read it other places. The Nazis offered the wealthy Jewish people a way out of the Holocaust by giving them visas if they paid for it. And Ellie's father wouldn't buy one because he's like, oh, it's not, that's not going to be that bad. The Germans won't be that bad. Look at how organized they are. Then they came again and they took everyone and on trains and they told them that they were taking them someplace. And there was a woman on the train. She was a, a seer mm -hmm. and she kept telling everyone, I, you know, furnaces, furnaces, furnaces. Nobody believed her. They told her that she had to be quiet. They even beat her to get her to be quiet. And then they showed up at the furnaces and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Oh my God, think about our news, what's happening on our news. It doesn't, it doesn't take a genius to see that we have some very serious, we have some very serious forces that are working against the future of humanity. And we have to prepare. We have to start preparing right now. I have a lot of contacts 
you know, I have a huge network, 25,000 people, right? Some of the smartest people in the world. And I've been reaching out to them to sense test this. Am I, you know, am I just, am I just too worried? <laughs> you know, is, am I just, is, is this just, you know, just me just worrying too much? It's, we could have a whole podcast on this this specific topic. Yeah. You and I are yeah. more aligned than than you probably know. Well, yeah. I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah, look, I created a document uh, with 11 uh, challenges that I think are going to happen or could happen. Just like imagine your worst possible day. You can't turn on the light switch, right? And you have to figure out how to get about electricity for your family. The faucet doesn't go on and you don't have access to clean water. What do you do? One in seven people on this planet today do not have access to clean water. And here's the real tragedy. It is super simple to build a water filter out of available materials. You just need charcoal from a fire and sand, right? And you can build a water filter. So I created this document uh, with 11 things that I think are major challenges that could happen. And I'm starting to share it. And my plan is actually to work with Ben and some of his friends to get training available to people so that we can, you know, I, I don't want to be in a situation where I see a bunch of people suffering because they don't have basic knowledge and Google's no longer available. If your cell phone doesn't have a charge, who can you call? Whose phone number do you know? Whose phone number or address do your kids know? What are they going to do, right? What are you going to do when your neighbor comes knocking on your door or your grandmother needs help, right? It's not just you surviving. We've got to build communities of people, right? So our institutions are breaking down. It's evident. The thing that made the United States a strong country were the barn raisings that we used to do, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody would move into the community and everybody would chip in together and they would help build a barn for that, for that person, right? We've got people living in our parks. We've got people living in our streets. We walk by them every day and pretend they don't exist. We've lost our love for each other, right? We got to find our love. We've got to step in to our love for each other because that is the only way that we're going to survive whatever darkness is ahead of us, right? It's only through love. I was talking to one of my friends um, who's, um, he's a, he was trained in SEER, right? So search, evade, rescue, evade. This guy is trained, you know, top tier, the best training in the world to survive the worst possible circumstance. You've got an enemy or army surrounding you and you don't have any backup. How do you survive that? And this dude is telling me that, that he's afraid and that other people, are, other people are afraid and some people he knows are committing suicide. And this is what I wrote back to him. I'm like, brother, I'm not fucking ringing the bell. Excuse my language, but it's just, it, this is so powerful for me. I'm not ringing the bell, right? I'm not giving up. When I go up to God, I want God to know that I worked my ass off to save as many people as I could if things got bad. So there's, you know, there's no, there's nothing I can say. There's, there's no way to know with absolute certainty that the worst scenario is going to happen. And I pray to God that it doesn't because I don't want to live through that shit. Mm -hmm. I absolutely, these people that want the end of the world, fuck them. That's horrible. <laughs> there's no way I want that, right? I don't want that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to do any of these things I'm teaching people how to do. But if, but if they know how to do it, they're a little bit safer. One in three women in the United States are assaulted in their lifetime. One in three? That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we teaching women to defend themselves? Every single person should know some level of martial arts. You never know when something can happen to you. God calls me to do things. This is going to sound a little bit strange, but hell, we're going there. <laughs> so, Welcome to the Matrix. Welcome to the Matrix. God calls me to go to places at times. I get these gut feelings. 
that I needed to go to places and do certain things. One night I get this gut feeling, go for a drive. I'm like, okay. So I get in my car, go for a drive. I go by a laundromat that I normally go to, right? And I had to go to the bathroom. So I pulled in and I'm, for some reason I pull in this to this place to go to the bathroom. And I know that the, the, the doors lock at night, but for some reason I, I thought I could go to the bathroom there. So I go in and I go into the bathroom and somebody's trashed the bathroom. And I'm like, what the, you know, what, what is this? So I start cleaning up the bathroom because I'm a nice guy. I'm not going to leave a trashed bathroom for the next person. And I step out and I immediately know who trashed it. And I say to them, look, you guys don't want to do this. Like this, this, you don't want to, you don't want to trash bathrooms. That's always going to come back on you. And they're like, we got a, we have a Jeb. I'm like, okay, what? I don't know what a Jeb is, but okay, whatever. <laughs> I'll talk to anybody. So they take me out to the parking lot and this dude, Jeb, unleashes three trained pit bulls on me, right? So I got three trained pit bulls tearing at my legs, right? Now I have one weapon in my hand. The only thing I could use as a weapon is my car keys. So I put my car keys on the ground and I'm like, take it. Like that's the biggest de-escalation I think I could possibly do. Here's my car, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The dogs kept coming. So I go into the laundromat because I don't want to hurt the dogs. Like this is, this is the level of, of love I have. I, I don't want to hurt the dogs, even though they're tearing up my legs. So I go into the laundromat thinking he's not going to, he's not going to let the dogs in the laundromat. Sure enough, he lets the dogs in the laundromat. So now the dogs have me up against a wall. This dude pulls out a shank, right? Which is a prison knife. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, God, what do we do now? I knew that there were other people in this laundromat. And at that point, just peaceful coexistence was not an option. I had to defend myself. Somehow I put those dogs to sleep. And when I woke up, I had half of my face was purple from a baseball bat beaten in my mm. face. So it wasn't just the one guy with a knife. I've got knife wounds on my legs. I had dog bites all over my, all over my legs. They beat me to an inch of my life. Right hmm. now, think about that. I've just gone into the laundromat to go to the bathroom. Right, there are violent people in this world. As kind and gentle and caring as I am, I still face violent people. <laughs> we have to prepare, and I have actually found a great deal of connection to God through my martial arts training. So I feel God flowing through me as I train martial arts. To me, it's a prayer. In Japan, I learned that everything you do is a prayer. So the Japanese people believe that everything you do is a prayer. That's why everything is so well made in Japan. Mm -hmm. Right? So everything is a prayer. I was in a, in a Wim Hof breathing class that one of my friends was teaching, and I got this revelation. I'm like, if everything I do is a prayer, Breathing is a prayer because I'm choosing to be here, right? Every single breath I take, I'm praying to God, right? Everything I do, every interaction, this podcast is a prayer. Mm -hmm. Everything is a prayer. Now, the Japanese also believe that there are five gods in a grain of rice. And, and when I first heard that, I'm like, five gods in a grain of rice? You guys must have a lot of gods. <laughs> now, the gods in Japan are called kami. And I'm like, there must be a lot of kami. And, and they actually, they think there's infinite kami. So the Japanese believe that there's God in everything, which makes so much sense. Of course, God's in everything. God created everything, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So start thinking about that. If, if. God is in everything. There's a God in everything. Everything has a conscious. So a lot of people, they don't understand. They don't understand when people talk about abundance. They don't understand when people talk about you can be the artist of your own life. We are literally creating our reality every day by how we move through reality and by what our thoughts are and what we believe and what we do because God is always listening. And when you understand that, that makes tremendous sense, right? So we're crafting this reality. And as you move through reality with love,
and purpose. You're creating a mafia. One of my students once sent me a note. I had mentioned them on my LinkedIn. And he wrote me this note, and he's like, John, you have no idea. You've got a freaking global mafia. <laughs> and, and I love that. I love that because global mafia, right? Mafia means family in Italian, right? Mm-hmm. When I had posted about this kid, he had 300 people come to him and want to be friends with him. And he's like, I have like, what is this? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And this is something I use all the time. I talk about, you got to build a mafia. You should be intentionally building relationships with people with the understanding that you're in the room with them, they're in the room with you, right? If, if, if I'm in a room and I hear about an opportunity that would fit for you, I'm going to recommend you. If you're in a room, you hear an opportunity, you're going to recommend me. If you have this family of people that are doing this all the time, man, how can you not transform your reality? How can you not achieve what you're trying to achieve? One of the things I teach my students that's incredibly powerful, a lot of people think, oh, well, I don't have the network or I can't do this or I can't do that, right? I had a student once that came to me. She said, I want to work for the Blackhawks someday in marketing. I'm like, cool, what have you done to do that? Nothing. I'm like, well, why do you, why do you want to work for the Blackhawks in marketing? Well, my best friend's dad works for the Blackhawks in marketing. Oh my God. All right. So ask him. <laughs> like, I, I guarantee so you're going to, you're going to, you know, you might start selling tickets, <laughs> but, but somehow this man's going to get you a job with the Blackhawks. And today she works with the Blackhawks in marketing. So each and every one of us has 250 people that would go to their wedding or their funeral. I get this from a book called Endless Referrals by a guy named Bob Berg who incidentally has become a bit of a, a connection of mine and I've inter- interacted with him since uh, I read his book, Endless Referrals. So Endless Referrals, in that book, he says there's, everybody has 250 people that would go to their wedding or their funeral, right? Mm-hmm. Each of them have 250 people. So I think I've got the math right now. 62,500 people will go to the wall for you and bring anything you want into your life. They just have to know what it is you want. So you need to be as specific as possible. And then you just need to show them that you're working towards it. So the more that they believe in you, the more they're going to bring things to you, right? So every single person walking around this planet, unless you're a hermit in the mountains or something, has 62,500 people that will that'll sell for them, that will bring opportunities to them, right? And if you're on social media, you know, on social media, I have about 25,000 people, roughly. Now, mm-hmm. I don't reach all of them every time I post, but I'm reaching some fraction of those people, right? And so that means that if on a daily basis, instead of like putting up shit, like this is what I ate for dinner or, you know, if you're actually putting valuable, useful content in the world, then every time you're doing that, you're, you're actually earning respect, mm-hmm. right? And, and the more respect you earn, right, the more likely people are going to refer opportunities to you. This podcast is a great example of you're bringing something into people's lives, right, that's going to resonate with, with a certain group of people, right? And because they like that content, they're going to share it with their friends. Mm-hmm. So I, I used to, you know, when I first started my business, I created this, this PowerPoint presentation. I, I was trying to figure out how to, how to get clients. And so I called one of my mentors. This guy was a guy named Harold Pete Lott. And Pete, Pete had been one of the founders of a company called Anderson Strategic Services, which today is known as Accenture. So Pete had been one of the four guys that founded a 185,000-person consulting firm. I figured he knew how to sell. <laughs> you <know>, probably <laughs> Pete knew how to sell. So I call up Pete. You know, and because I figure if I'm going to ask for help, like, let me ask the big dogs, like, let me ask the people who can help me. So I call up Pete and Pete loved me. I, I, I absolutely love Pete. He's such a beautiful man. And 
and he had a lot of respect for me. And and so when I called him, I was I was I was half thinking he was going to give me a job, but he loved me too much to do that. So he actually told me a couple of things. First thing he said to me was, John, why should anybody buy from you? Which is a beautiful question and it's the fundamental question that every entrepreneur needs to ask themselves. Why should anybody buy from you? You got to have a good answer to that question. I was like, well, because I'm, I'm smart and I'm a nice guy. <laughs> Pete's like, John, you've got to find a way to reverse the risk. There's a risk anytime somebody works with you. You've got to find a way to reverse that risk. All right, that makes sense. I got that. Um, and now I'm totally blanking on the second question. <laughs> but, but I had that, right? So I leave the call. Um, I leave the call with, you know, no answers, just questions, which is actually one of the beautiful things. Great mentors will ask you questions that make you think and discover the answers yourself. So at this point, I'm like, okay, well, I had the call with Pete. I don't know the answer, but I know how to buy food. So why don't I go buy some food? So I go to the grocery store and I'm walking around the grocery store and I see the answer right in front of me. How do they get you to buy things in a grocery store? By their placement, by their color. There's lots of ways they're man manipulating the environment. So that's 100% true and really good for people to know. Guys, ding, ding, ding. Your environment is architected by somebody to get you to make decisions. The matrix. What this particular thing I'm talking about this moment is they had a woman there giving samples, right? And I'm like, that's what I need to do. That's how I'm going to reverse the risk. I'm going to give them samples. And that'll show people that I have value. And then they're going to want to work with me, right? Hopefully this podcast has that effect on some people who <laughs> will see, right? So, so I buy the food, I go home, and I'm like, I'm not leaving my apartment until I find a way to, to do this. So I created this PowerPoint presentation over a weekend. It was called Technological Innovations in the Financial Services Industry. And it was a bunch of ideas I had around how to make banks more efficient and how to use technology to make financial services better. And I put this in a PowerPoint presentation. I sent it to my 250, right? My wife sent it to her 250. And at the bottom of the email, I said, if you found this presentation useful, forward it on to a friend. All right. So the next day, I get a call from a guy who wants me to speak to a group of Japanese bankers in New York in a couple of weeks. Wow. I'm like, cool, perfect. How do I find clients? Great. All right. Then the next day, the managing director of the largest consulting firm in Japan calls me. And he said, John, I saw your presentation. I'm coming to New York to meet you. Now, at this time, I didn't have a website. I didn't have business cards, right? I didn't even have a place for us to meet. And I quickly, I thought to myself, you probably don't know, you probably don't know New York very well. Why don't I meet you at your hotel and we can go from there? I met this guy at his hotel. I talked to him for a couple of hours in the lobby. They became a client for 10 years. Nice. They paid me $5,000 to write research reports. I tracked down the woman that referred us and I sent her a check every project that we did because I understood the value of referral. We built this business where we were giving advice to the largest consulting firm in the world, right? About technology, about financial services. And this was impacting Japanese clients, right? And I was doing it from an efficiency apartment in Midtown Manhattan in Hell's Kitchen this one room apartment and I was changing the awareness of technologies of some of the largest companies in the world. I used to run my company, I used to run my business and still do actually out of coffee shops, right? So one day I was, I was working in a coffee shop and I was standing in line. I was wearing shorts that day. I was wearing a t-shirt uh, and I was standing behind these guys that were wearing suits. It was about, oh, I don't know, about a 90, 95 degree day. And it was hot. And these dudes were wearing suits. And they were making fun of me. Oh, that poor dude, he's got to work out of a coffee shop. 
On that day, I closed sixty-two thousand dollars in business in my freaking shorts. Mm-hmm. I have to work out of a coffee shop. I get to work out of a coffee shop. I can work out of any coffee shop I want anywhere in the world. You got to show up to the same place every day. You got to follow somebody else's rules. You got to look the way that they want you to look, right? My clients don't care. All they care about is what I can deliver. Yeah. I remember once I had a phone call with a client that was referred to me. And uh, this woman calls me and she's, she's like the head of payments for Shop NBC, which is one of the top 100 internet retailers in the world. So she calls me up and she's like uh, asking me questions. She's like, can you drive traffic to our website for this, this association she was part of? And I'm like, okay, what's your website? And she told me. And so I look it up online and I'm like, well, I could drive traffic to your website, but you don't want me to <laughs> because this website is a poor representation of who you are and what you do for companies. You provide technology advice to companies on processing payments that are Fortune 500 companies. If somebody comes to your website and it's not appropriate, they can't refer it to their boss. They're not going to get a budget to come to your event. We've got to change your branding. Otherwise, I'm wasting your money. Now, a lot of people would have just taken her money, right? But I wasn't, I wasn't willing to do that. I'm not going to do something for somebody that I don't think adds value to them. That's one of the reasons I put that guarantee out there. I'm not going to do something that I don't think adds value to you, right? I want you to pay me, right? But I also want, I also want to make sure that I add value. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. So I did a whole new rebrand. We did a, different, a new website, a new rebrand. But I remember when, she, when we got to the end of the call, she said, 712, where am I calling? I'm like, you're calling Sioux City, Iowa. <laughs> she said, you're a consultant and you live in Sioux City, Iowa? I'm like, I've lived in New York. I've lived in London. I've lived in Tokyo. It does not matter where I live. What matters is what can I do for you? Can I change your life? Can I bring something into your life that's going to make it materially better so that whatever problem you have, we're, we're overcoming that. We're crushing that. They became a client of mine for seven years. If I would have taken that job driving traffic to their website, they wouldn't have been a client of mine for long because they wouldn't have seen the results. If you're going to do something for somebody, do it ethically. Mm -hmm. There are two things that trap most people to this existence. So we, we went to the place of faith, so I'm just going to go there with you guys. There are two <laughs> things that trap people to this existence. The first one is fear. Mm-hmm. If you're coming from a place of fear, you're coming from a place of scarcity. There was a time in my life when the money just rolled through the door. It was crazy. There was a time in my life when I had $30,000 worth of checks in my apartment, and I didn't have the time to cash them. This was before I understood the concept of teams and I thought I had to work 80 hours a week to, to make money, right? Now I understand that I can work with people and create opportunities for them and I don't have to kill myself. But at that time I was killing myself to make money, right? And so money was flowing in. I was killing myself. The interesting thing was money flew faster the more money I had. It's one of the craziest things. The more money you make, the easier it is to make money just because you're not choosing to do those things out of scarcity you're choosing the things that are genuinely valuable things to do right Mm -hmm. and so those things are going to be more successful and you're going to make more money it's such an incredible thing to realize right Mm -hmm. you want to find the things that are genuine i had uh i had a guy come to me recently to work on a on a project in latin america that i had a real passion for it's going to help improve the health of people in Latin America. I have a huge passion for this. There's a bunch, there are a bunch of successful companies in this industry, so there was a clear need. He had a lot of social proof around this. I was like, this is, this is awesome. I'm in. This is cool. And then I started to really dig in and look at it, and there were a bunch of red flags that started going off. So you couldn't download the app from their website. It just sent you blindly to the app store which told me that their programmers don't care because that's a simple thing to do. And if they can't do that correctly, how's the other, how's the rest of it working, right? Mm-hmm. You can have a big dream, you can have a big vision, but you've also got to get in the weeds, right? 
And you've got to, like, love has to permeate everything you do. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned in life is that when you, when you start questioning in your team and when you, like, when you stop coming from a place of love, but you come from a place of greed, it's going to fail. When you have too much fear to start, you're never going to get there. Fear will keep you from going and taking the next step. Greed will crash even the most beautiful idea or plan. Mm -hmm. You've got to live outside of fear and greed. Every single day of my life, I endeavor to live outside of fear and greed. I remember one day I was at a, at a gas station. I was putting gas in this truck that I had. I had this old truck that I drove forever because I don't, I like to drive old cars. I never, I don't like to waste money on my cars. I want to, I want to invest money on things I care about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm putting gas in this old car and this dude pulls up in this beautiful BMW convertible, right? It's beautiful blue BMW convertible sitting next to him is this absolutely gorgeous Asian woman. Uh, she didn't have to be Asian, but gorgeous. <laughs> so, absolutely gorgeous woman. And I'm like, man, I want that. Right. It's like, I had that moment of greed. I'm like, Oh my God, I want that. And then that little voice in my head said, John, you could have that. That's available to you. Mm -hmm. You have the education, you have the skills, you can make the money. You can have that. That's not a problem. What you have, you have because of what you choose. What you have, you have because that's what you value. And so I went home and I got online and I started writing about this. And some woman mentioned that she'd given away her car to her niece because her niece needed a car. And I, I thought for a moment and I'm like, I have two vehicles. I have a truck and a car. I don't need two vehicles. I'm going to give this woman my truck. This is a woman I've never met. Right? Like, I have no idea who this woman is. She commented on a post. And guys, I'm sorry, I don't have that many trucks. If you come in a post, I'm not going to be able to give everybody a truck. It's not Oprah. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, I gave this woman my truck, right? Mm -hmm. This is a truck I absolutely loved. You know, it was like my little red school, my little red school bus. I drove everywhere. I, I did so many things for so many people in this truck. It was like it really had sentimental value for me. But this woman didn't have a car. And so I gave her my truck. And that truck enabled her to get a job at Shopco or something like that. The money she earned from that allowed her to move to Mexico. Today she lives in Mexico and teaches English. And she has a mm -hmm. beautiful life. And every once in a while, she'll contact me and tell me, hey, John, you should come to Mexico. So she actually, during COVID, invited me to go to Mexico. Uh, but then COVID happened and all that stuff happened. <laughs> but like, yeah. like, think about that for a minute. I felt a moment of greed, right? Instead of doubling down on that and going for greed, I gave away something that I valued to someone else, right? If you feel, if you feel the darkness of greed coming on you, Show love. How do you how do you overcome greed? Don't be greedy. Yeah, it's it's by love and it's by shining the light in the darkness. Exactly. You know, I love I, I love your altruistic mentality. I mean, I, I love it. We're we're completely aligned and and your kindness and your service for others is apparent in everything you do and everything you say. And I I absolutely love that we had the opportunity to to talk today. But we are gonna have to to wrap it up, we certainly need to schedule a round two, though. I'd love because it. I feel like a I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, <laughs> you know. But yeah. but since since I have you, uh, also, if our guests want to know more about you and more about your services and how they can become successful, what's a good website they can reach out to to get a hold of you? You know, that's a great question. At the moment, I don't have a website, but the best way to reach out to me is through either LinkedIn, uh, so people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then people can also find me on uh, Facebook. And my name is really easy to remember. So if you ever want to find me, you can think of uh, the Beatles, John and Paul, right? Or you can think of John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul, whatever you prefer. Think of, think of John and Paul. <laughs> and then my last name means angel in German. Ah. So it's just spelled a little bit differently. It's an E instead of an A. So it's E-N-G-E-L. 
So just look for John Paul Engel on LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, that's a great way to reach out to me. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll do my best to respond to you. I'll do my best to help you in any way I can. Uh, eventually I'll have a website again. So I, I used to have several websites. God has me on this incredible roller coaster. On any given day, I can be advising the former head of payments for Google and some guy living on the cardboard, right? So like I, I that happened, like that literally happened in a day once. <laughs> like, like <laughs> so on any given day, I'm helping some of the smartest people in the world and I'm helping people that are struggling. I'll, I'm through the whole gamut of, of possibility. And God has me on this roller coaster where sometimes money is just completely flowing through the door. And sometimes I'm going through a bit of a struggle. And the moment I'm going through a little bit of a struggle, uh, I think it may have something to do with all the people I help. Because the other thing that I've come to realize is that the more people I help, the more I call them energy vampires I attract. Uh, so there are people out there in the world that are making money off of other people's suffering. My mission in life is to reduce all suffering. So if I'm moving through the world, sometimes I joke I'm like a Buddhist monk walking through a game of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> because like, like all around me, shit's gone down. So what ends up happening is as you help people, you come across these energy vampires that can make your life a bit of a mess. And I feel like you guys have some experience with that as well. Um, and so I'm in one of these periods where I'm climbing my way back. Uh, and I, I just, I have this belief in love and, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, there's a loving God and that loving God is watching what I'm doing, right? That loving God knows who I am and how I move through the world. That's why we're here, right? That's why yeah. all of us are here, right? And, and I, think, I think you'll notice in everything, uh, just before, before I exit, everything that happens uh, throughout humanity, throughout the, the creation of the world, throughout the universe, it all rolls in cycles. There's a high cycle, there's a low cycle. It's even in our ocean, high tide, low tide. And so it's just, it's a way of life. And it's how you learn to get through those times that make you stronger because life is never going to always be high and it's, it's not going to always be low. You know, that's where mindset comes to play. That's where experience comes to play. That's where everything that you've learned through your journey, your, your journal, your journey's resume comes mm -hmm. into play yeah. and you learn to prepare for these things. I can tell that you prepare very well for everything, you know? And so also, um, I'll, I'll put your information in our show notes too. That way our listeners can just log on to balancepurpose.com, click on you and they can find you. But man, I appreciate you coming on the show today. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a lot of fun. I look forward to building a relationship with you guys. Oh, heck yeah. Balance Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Jerry Forbeck. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancepurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancepurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination, and it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day. <laughs>